AM 101.1. Current events, personal values, political and social issues, technology, wars and tensions. Join us for the next hour to discuss and learn how the things happening in our world today point to God's prophetic word as signs of the times. into a special edition of Signs of the Times. I'm your host, Greg Hilt, and thanks for joining us. While Pastor Mark is in Israel for the next two weeks, we're going to share two topical teachings that God laid on his heart just prior to leaving for the Holy Land. And this burden wasn't just for the body here at Calvary Knoxville, but for our Signs of the Times family as well. And the first teaching has to do with a myriad of beliefs that were prominent in the early church. And true to the ways of Satan, those beliefs are making their way back into church circles as we go deeper into the latter days of prophecy. We'll be talking about topics such as Gnosticism, Judaism, and the resurgence in giving merit to the apocryphal books, especially the Book of Enoch. It's one thing for the world to count these things as true, but it's quite disturbing when those inside the church walls believe as the world does. So, it's time for Pastor Mark to help us in identifying the true scriptures on this special edition of Signs of the Times. Amen, amen. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. It's so good to see you guys. Glad you're here. Excited about you being here with us this morning and what we have to cover. You know, it's it's interesting. As you guys know, we finished the book of Daniel last week. And so oftentimes in between books, God will impress on my heart things that maybe we need to cover as a body. And he did that very clearly this time as well. So before we jump into another book, we're going to take the next three weeks to look at some topical issues. And we're going to focus in on doctrine and theology. Um, again, with topicals, we'll be bouncing around some. I'll have the uh, scriptures on the screen for you as much as possible, and you can look them up later if you want. But again, I feel this is something where the Church of America is, and I think it's somewhere where obviously we are going to be affected as well, so it's something we need to look at. So it's interesting. It says in Jude, verses 3 and 4, It says, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, that as I had one reason I was going to write, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith. That is, God changed my direction, which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, that you've shown me the necessity. Lord, to cover these topics we're going to be covering over the next three weeks. Lord, you've warned us. You've shown us what's going to be happening in the last days. You've prepared us. But Lord, we sometimes can not be on guard 
sometimes not paying as much attention as we should. Lord, I think sometimes we read your word and get so used to it, we forget that it's going to be happening. And so I pray that as we look at issues of doctrine and issues of theology on these major issues, that you truly anoint these next three weeks. God, I ask you to rebuke the enemy off of this place. I ask God that you would just, again, send your spirit. You'd speak clearly to us. We'd hear your voice. God, for um, those that may be, um, again, dealing with some of these issues, you administer to them. For those of us who will be dealing with these issues, solidify us. And Lord, as always, bring us back to the foundation of your word. I look forward to what you're going to show us over the next three weeks, God. And I pray today, as you look at just your word and the true scriptures, God, you'd show us how we can depend on you and what we know is truly the word of God. So to bless our time, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, really, I read Jude because what was in Jude's heart is really in my heart this morning. And that is, while I planned on moving right on into the next book, God really put in my heart, no, there's some issues that are entering the Church of America. And if they're entering the Church of America, they're probably worldwide as well, uh, with the worldwide web, if you will. Um, and so they need to be addressed. And these are doctrinal issues. Now, again, uh, if you attend a church that's faithful to teach the Word of God, uh, you're going to uh, be fairly solid on the doctrinal issues. But Again, oftentimes, even those that are taught the word of God can be deceived and tricked and maybe allured or maybe not understand why they stand where they stand or not know the answers when people ask them the questions. And so the things that are on my heart to cover over the next three weeks, number one, identifying the true scriptures. And that's what we're going to talk about today. How can we know we have real, the real word of God as compared to many other books that are out there? Uh, next week, we'll look at identifying the true Jesus. And that may sound basic as well, but you'd be surprised there's some real challenges to who Jesus is today. And lastly, we're going to look at the Christian's relationship to the law and how that works within the church today. These are solid foundational doctrinal and theological issues, but again, the enemy tries to bring in confusion. And I can tell you, this is interesting. I, I've been teaching long enough now over the years to recognize the spiritual opposition. And I've been also around long enough to realize that when those alarms go off, somebody again has forgot to turn their phone off. But anyway, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not trying to embarrass anybody. I'm sorry. I couldn't help that one. That was easy. Um, I, I, I had that happen to me one time, and so I, I say that with great uh, humility. But either way, um, but I've learned to identify uh, the opposition of the enemy. And I can tell you guys, look, I, I don't want to over... Uh, you know, a pastor can be um, guilty of over-sensationalizing, um, and I don't want to ever do that. But I can tell you, there's been a battle today. There was a battle last night. There's been a battle all morning, and I can feel it. That's weird. As long as I've been teaching the Word of God, I've learned to recognize. Sometimes it's just because you feel weird, or maybe you didn't sleep good, or maybe it's just a weird day. Things happen. But I've learned over you know, 34 years of walking with the Lord, some 30 years of teaching the Word of God, I know the difference in just a normal day and the spiritual battle that's happening. I'll tell you, the enemy has been really, really fighting this and, I, and, and just a lot, I could go into the details, I won't. I won't bore you with it, but I'm simply saying it shows you how important, it shows me and reminds me how important the issue of the word of God is in the believer's life. This is a number one area of attack. And so I know that if just me trying to share it has come into the opposition I faced last night and this morning and, and can even feel right now as I bring this to you, the enemy is trying his best to stop you from receiving this. So if you find yourself wondering, your mind wandering off, pray against it, stay focused in. And I'm going to try to stay just to the basics this morning of really showing you uh, how we can know we have the true word of God and the true scriptures. Uh, because there is a challenge today about the true word of God and the true scriptures. So number one, 
First of all, what is the Word of God? In describing the Word of God, I want you to hear what God says about His Word. First of all, in Psalm 12, 6 and 7, listen to what it says about God's Word. It says, the words of the Lord are pure words, like silver tried in a furnace of earth. That is, you put it in the furnace and you heat it up to bring purity to it. Notice, purified seven times, that is the number of completion. God's word has been proven, it is purified, it is trustworthy is what he's saying. He says, you shall keep them, that is God's words and God's statutes. O Lord, you shall preserve them, note that, you shall preserve them from generation to generation. Here's the first point I want to make. Do you believe God is big enough to write a book and preserve it? Okay, now I know you do, you're Calvary Chapel. Cheaters. I know you do because you've been, you, you've, you know the word of God, you're learning. And I don't say that in, in some kind of uh, arrogant way. I just know that Calvary Chapel's people, you guys are you're, you're Bible study people, I know that. But the reason I say that is there's a lot of people today, that is the first stumbling block you've got to get over when it comes to believing in the word of God. Can God write a book and preserve it? Now, why do I say that? If you believe that God is big enough to write a book and preserve it, then you know that God's not going to allow it to be corrupted if he shows us what is truly his word. And see, a lot of people say, well, it's been corrupted. There's been things taken out. There's been things added in. It's changed over the years. We're going to see today how that's false. All of that is false. And we're going to show you so you have solid ground to stand on. It's not just having faith, you know, an act of faith that you believe, uh, you know, in the word of God blindly or whatever. No, God has shown us by evidence, through discoveries, historical proofs, by Jesus' his own words, what we can depend on in the word of God. And that is, look, there are a lot of counterfeit books out there. There are a lot of attacks on the word of God out there. I know that. But you first have to settle in your mind, my God is big enough, and if he's almighty God, he is, to write a book and to preserve it and keep it from being corrupted. There are those today that will say, we can't depend on anything because man is involved and therefore blah, blah, blah. No, God is God. And he will make sure that you have the word of God. And if you do your homework, he'll make sure that you know what the word of God is. And one of the most exciting things to me about what we're going to see today before we're done, Jesus himself told us what is the word of God and what we can depend on. And that way we don't have to worry. We don't have to doubt. His own words will show us and guide us as to what we can depend on as being the word of God. Another one, Psalm 1830 says this, as for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is perfect proven. Thousands of years worth, I would add. He is a shield to those who trust in him. And so again, we see how the word of God is proven. The word of God is tried. The word of God is our standard for everything. And because the word of God is a standard for everything for the believer, guess what's going to be the number one target by the enemy? That is the word of God. He's going to do everything he can to bring it down, to discredit it, to convince you there are errors, to convince you there are contradictions. You know, it's interesting. My entire Christian walk, I've heard that if there's errors in the Bible, there's contradictions. Nobody's ever shown me one. Now, I've only known the Lord 34 years, so I've got more time. But people come up with what they think is a contradiction or what they think is that, but more study of the word always shows, no, it's not. It's just you're getting more information. God doesn't give us all the information in any one spot. He spreads it out through his word. And if you don't know all of his word, you may believe there's something left out or there's a contradiction. You know, the accusations often come about the different accounts of the resurrection. But when you put them all together, they fit together like a glove. It's a hand in a glove. They're perfect. They complement each other. And that's where a lot of the confusion comes in. However, for those who don't know the word of God good enough, the enemy can confuse them and make them think, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, false. J. Vernon McGee, a famous pastor from a while back, he's been dead for a while, he had an ongoing challenge throughout his ministry, 30, well, 
it was more 40 to 50 some years of ministry, he had a $30,000 guarantee for anybody that could bring him a proven error or contradiction no one ever collected. And he knew they never would because it can't be done. Now, uh, again, what's interesting about that is, is that um, it, it, because we're, God's word is so sure, again, the enemy's job, what his goal is, is to try to undermine it and to pull people away and not believing in it. And again, there are some things that, that, that claim to be the word of God that are not. They're easily proven false. And we'll talk about some of them as we get into today. But notice this, the undermining of the enemy in God's word, because it is so important, began back in the garden. I mean, right off the bat, there's Adam and Eve. God said, there's the tree of life. There's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He said, if you eat of the, uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, uh, then you will surely die. That's speaking of spiritually. There'll be a spiritual death immediately. And then over time, there's going to be a physical death because sin enters the world. And what happens? Satan begins to talk to Eve and he tells Eve, you will not surely die. He immediately begins to deny the word of God and say, God's word isn't true. You can't trust God's word. God has some things he doesn't want you to know. And he knows you're going to be just like him if you just do these things or whatever. And we know the whole thing. He appeals to her flesh, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the pride of life and all this. And he falls for it. He does the same thing today. Things don't change. And yet what we have to establish in our heart is how important God's word is. Not only is it proven. But listen to what God says about how he holds his word in esteem. Psalm 138.2 says this. I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. Ready? For you have magnified your word above all your name. Wow. Jesus has the name above all names. He says, there's one thing higher, my word. Now, let me give this balance. His name is the word. The word is his name. He's not saying there's different levels of his godness in that. He's making a point. When I put down who I am in the word of God for you, I'm going to hold it in such high esteem. It's even, I'm going to magnify it. Doesn't mean it's greater than my name. I'm going to magnify it even above my name, right? Because I want to make sure that you recognize it and you honor it in that, in that position because it is your guide for life and godliness. It is the direction for the believer, which again, if I was Satan, I would attack it as well. Because I, if I could pull away your guide for life and what you stand on, then I win the battle. And that's why some of you right now, you may be already battling in your mind. Well, I thought this and I thought that. Things are already racing through your mind right now. The battle is on. God will give you the victory and God will give you the confidence that you need to know that his word is true and you'll be able to tell the difference between the imitation and the fake by the time we're done. And by the way, whenever there's the real, there's always a fake. Um, it's interesting. Um, you know, we don't think about Satan's word, do we? But Satan has his word as well. There are many books written today that are inspired by the demonic realm. And that is, if you will, even as God has his word, Satan has his word as well. And what Satan is very good at doing is, he'll take a little bit of truth and mix it into something that's false so that you believe that it's true. Don't be deceived by that. You have to look at the full body of what the book is, what the writing is saying, not because, look, any, Satan himself could write an article and include scripture in it and then fill it with poison and, and lure a lot of people in. Well, it's got the Bible in it, it's got something true in it, but they don't realize they're being poisoned because, again, it's a very clever tactic of the enemy. He knows what he's doing. Again, how much poison does it take to be in our meals every time we eat over a period of time until finally our body dies? That's his goal. You know, you can have some truth, but I'm going to mix in the other, if you will. And so there's going to be deception. And again, we are warned in the last days, especially in the last days, that demonic teachings and deception would enter the church. Listen to what it says in 1 Timothy 4.1. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, again, latter times is always a clue to the very end, 
In the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits, and note this, and doctrines of demons. Again, he's talking about people departing from the faith because of doctrines coming in among believers. We're not even talking about the world yet. What a warning that is to us. We have got to be on our toes. Let's not be those that are lured away. Let's make sure we're standing on a solid foundation and we know why we're standing there. And again, we'll see the words of Jesus in a moment that can put you on that solid rock where you know where you're standing and you'll know the playground that God has given you to play in, so to speak, to know that you can stay on the right path. But amazing, uh, people are going to fall away. There's going to be those that, that depart in the last days, are falling away. Second Thessalonians 2.3 says, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day, that is the Lord's coming back, will not come unless the falling away comes first. There it is again. There's going to be a falling away. And then the man of sin will be revealed, the son of perdition, that is the Antichrist. So what he's saying is, look, there's always been the attack on the church. There's always been the attack on the word of God. But in the last days, there's going to be a special intensity focused in with doctrines of demons to deceive people and pull them away, which means, fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord, we need to be watching for this deception to come in. Look, God has given us a solid foundation to stand on for thousands of years. If something now gets introduced that begins to pull us away from that, we should be alert enough to say, wait a minute, something's not right here. Where's that coming from? What is the source of that? And we're going to stick to the scriptures and what we know to be the word of God. And so that is my heart today is to make sure that we understand what is the word of God and we know how to stand there. Now, again, this came into the early church, even as it's coming into the church today and will come into the church more in the last days. And it was known as Gnosticism. It kind of fell under this umbrella of Gnosticism. What is Gnosticism? Well, it comes from the Latin word gnosis. And it simply means, pretty almost to the word, you can tell what it means, to know. Knowledge, right? Understanding. Again, I go back to the tree. He said, eat, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's not that God isn't saying we can't have knowledge. Of course we need to have knowledge. God has given us a brain, understanding mathematics and science and all the ways to grow. It's good to have knowledge. It's good to grow in knowledge, but not knowledge from the enemy. Not evil knowledge. The Bible says be innocent. In, in what is, is what is evil. Be knowledgeable in what is good, but innocent in what is evil. That is when you know that it's evil, stay away from it. And if something claims to be a spiritual book that is proven to be false, you don't need to be spending your time in it. Again, it's interesting. I had a pastor years back, and maybe not the most appropriate illustration, but I'm not, I, I, that's happened to me before. Maybe I should think before I even say it, but I didn't say this. Another pastor did. He said, I don't have to step in manure to know that it stinks. And I think a lot of times when we see some of these books that claim to be spiritual, but they have, they're proven to be false, we dabble in them because they're intriguing. There's some knowledge that we feel we want to have. Listen, we by nature are inquisitive. When there's nothing wrong with being inquisitive. That's how children learn. That's how we learn. It's good to be inquisitive, but we need to know where we need to be inquisitive and where we don't need to be inquisitive. God's not hiding something from us. God is saying, here's the truth. I'm going to show you what's falsehood. Don't waste your time in it. And, and again, so we have to make sure that we're on our toes. And this Gnosticism came into the church. Uh, these people believed they had this special knowledge. It was a knowledge that was, um, you know, more than the others had around them. And so they were seeing this, um, you know, it came in and corrupted the church and, and it led to pride. And again, when you see a, a lot of this Gnosticism back in that day, they were known to be very prideful. And what I'm already seeing today, for those who have this special knowledge from these special books they're reading, there's an enormous amount of pride. It's almost like you can't even reason with them. It's like, can we at least talk about this? No, they won't talk about it because they're so prideful that they're right and no one can convince them. And the head goes back and the chest goes out. Listen, why did Satan fall, guys? Pride. 
And so when the spirit of Satan is at work in something false, you're going to see the fruit of that coming out of people with pride. We should be humble. If there's something that I'm incorrect about, I should be able to receive that. I should be able to see that in the word of God. Someone should be able to correct me and say, wow, that's good. I didn't see that. You know, sometimes I hear about people that approach a pastor and the pastor's almost unapproachable. You know, how dare you, you know, challenge, you know, whatever the servant of God or uh, the, the anointed of God. Somebody shared with me one time and said they went up and tried to say, hey, where is that in the Bible? How dare you question? Because it wasn't in the Bible. And the answer of, well, how dare you? You know, the, again, the head goes back and the chest goes, how dare you challenge the anointed of God? Well, you know, I, I, I won't do that when I see one, but I'm asking you. Where did you find that? You know, you shouldn't be afraid to ask that. And, and, and I should be able to say, well, guys, here it is in the word of God. And if I see that I'm wrong, I should be able to change and correct that. We should all be teachable. And so whenever you see pride, you know, the enemies at work, that's a, that's a signature of, of the enemy. And again, I find around those that have this special knowledge with these special books that are outside the Bible, oftentimes they're this pride. Now, again, what are some of these books the Gnostics used to delve in? They're called the, the apocryphal books. Some of you've heard about the apocryphal books. And the reason the apocryphal books were not included in the, in the canon or the writings of scripture is because every single one of the apocryphal books have provable errors and mistakes. Provable. Well, God doesn't make mistakes. And God doesn't make errors. So that's how the early church fathers realized these don't belong in the Bible. Because they have provable errors and provable mistakes. It's interesting, when you look up apocryphal, what it means is uh, questionable authorship. <laughs> that should be a warning in and of itself, all right? All right, so I'm going, wait a minute. I don't want, I want to know who the author is. I want to know who wrote it down. I want it to be verified, and I want to be able to, to do that. Now, the apocryphal books were written sometime between about 300 B.C. and 100 A.D., maybe some a little bit longer into that. But what's interesting to note is uh, the large body of the apocryphal books, they were written in the days of Jesus. That'll come in later. Realize, the Lord, they were, they were widely circulated, these apocryphal books, during the days of the Lord. And that's going to come important when Jesus signifies what it is that we're to be reading and what it is that we're to be looking at as opposed to the world. And so, again, the early church was able to identify these and stay away from them, uh, looking at the proven scriptures and the things that the Lord himself identified. But again, Satan over time was able to kind of bring these things in from these outside writings of these books and try to give them, again, credibility. Now, one of the accusations used to introduce these different books in is that people say this, well, these used to be in the Bible, but somebody took them out. We now know that's a false statement. How do we know that? Because according to the historian Josephus, who has proven himself to be a reliable historian, as a matter of fact, he was so accurate in the things he recorded historically, he gave the exact measurements of the walls of Jerusalem. And you can go and measure them today on the foundations. They are exact to what I mean. This guy, this guy was, he was very, very meticulous and did a great job in his historical records. And according again to um, uh, not just uh, him alone, but Josephus, the canon, that is, the canon just means the measurement. What, what you know is God's word and what's not God's word. But the canon or the measurement to show God's word for the Old Testament was completed during the time of um, Artaxerxes Longimanus, according to, um, again, Josephus, between 464 B.C. and 424 B.C. That's before Christ, which means the scriptures for the Jewish Old Testament were completed and verified at the latest 400 years before Christ. We have now found the Dead Sea Scrolls that have all the books of the Bible in them from 300 years before Christ, and they're exactly the same things that Artaxerxes during the time of Longimanus said were there and that, and that Josephus said was there. It went from Genesis to Malachi. 
And what that means is the very same Old Testament you hold in your lap today is the exact Old Testament that dates back to over 400 years before the time of Christ and was verified 300 years before Christ in the Dead Sea Scrolls. And the exciting thing to me is that the Old Testament you have from Genesis to Malachi is that there were, it hadn't been changed at all, and it's now provable. There's some ands, there's some these prepositional changes that the scribes, after writing hours and hours, you see one left out or whatever, but the body of text is exactly the same. What that means is you can have great confidence that what you hold in your lap as the Old Testament is the very thing Jesus and the disciples had in their day, and it was specifically nailed down to Genesis, from Genesis, if you will, to Malachi. All right, and we'll get to that later because the Lord's going to give that qualification of the Genesis to Malachi as well. Now, with that said, one of the books that I want to kind of veer off, I can't really go into all the apocryphal books. I don't want to, but I want to veer off into one because this one is now coming into the Church of America uh, with a vengeance like it did back then. Again, it was circulating in that day. It's coming back in, was rejected by the early church and rejected by the Lord, but it's coming back in, and that is the book of Enoch. We'll have to stop Pastor Mark right there as the first half of our Signs of the Times special has come to a close because we need to take a break. But when we return, Pastor Mark will address the book of Enoch, why so many people give this book credibility, and should we hold it in the same esteem as our Holy Bible? Answering those questions will help us in identifying the true scriptures. Our special edition of Signs of the Times continues right after this. This is Holy Land Moments, a radio ministry of the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews. Today, Fellowship President and CEO Yael Eckstein shares her reflections on Mother's Day. Mother's Day is celebrated every day in our home thanks to the biblical values we live by. A biblically-centered home builds its foundation on family values, and that is exactly what my husband and I yearn to foster. All the traditions we observe are meant to communicate a message to our children about the sanctity of marriage, the holiness of life, and the greatness of God. Each week on Shabbat, or the Sabbath, my husband practices the ancient tradition of singing the beautiful, poetic verses of Proverbs 31 to me. Proverbs 31 describes the characteristics of a wife of noble character. Having heard this biblical song their whole life, my children already know it by heart. They watch intently as my husband sings, and then we begin our Shabbat meal. When my husband comes to the verse that reads, She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy, we turn to our children and sing this verse to them. This is the ancient truth that we pray they will always remember that those who wish to live a righteous, godly life should focus their lives on helping people in need. I thank my husband for the biblical values that makes every day feel like the best Mother's Day in the world. You've been listening to Holy Land Moments. In celebration of Jerusalem Day this month, discover the biblical and historical significance of God's holy city with our complimentary Bible study. Download your copy today at holylandradio.org. That's holylandradio.org. This has been Holy Land Moments, a radio ministry of the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews. The Raising Godly Boys Minute with Mark Hancock. The kindergarten teacher looked at the parents and frowned. 
Your son just won't sit still, she said. He always wants to move and look at things throughout the room. The boy's mom furred her brows. Not to be disrespectful, but why is sitting still an important skill for a five-year-old? That boy's mom was asking an excellent question. While there is a time and place to learn how to focus, not being able to sit still is very developmentally appropriate for a five-year-old. If your son's educators aren't giving him any grace to simply be a boy, it may be time to look at alternatives such as homeschooling or monastery school. At the very least, make sure your son gets plenty of outdoor exercise after school. To learn about the five critical needs of boys as they grow up, visit Trail Life USA or RaisingGodlyBoys.com. Learn more at RaisingGodlyBoys.com. It's Crazy Money Day. Hi, I'm Chuck Bentley with my money life from Crown. Have you ever had a buy now, pay later loan? LendingTree reported in April that they're no longer being used for life's indulgences. Their survey revealed that 27% used the loans as a bridge to their next paycheck. Hit with inflation, rising interest, and layoffs, buy now, pay later helped one-fourth of those surveyed make their ends meet. They're used for basic necessities and 21% said they'd even use this form of debt to buy groceries. More than half of those surveyed admit to regretting buy-now, pay-later financing. They've discovered that fees and penalties are serious. Despite that, the number of Americans admitting to having used one or more of the plans is higher than last year. Apple Pay Later joined Klarna and Afterpay in March of this year. The loans are easy to get and often interest-free. The danger is that they accumulate and customers find it hard to keep up with their payments. Clothing, shoes, and accessories are the most common buy-now, pay-later purchases. Home decor, furniture, or appliances rank second. The vast majority of these fall into the category of wants, not needs. Here's my tip. Stop spending more than you earn. Learn to do without. Save for what you truly need. Give thanks for what you already have. There are cracks in our economy. So ignore the crazy temptation to buy now and pay later. Prioritize a robust emergency account. Learn to be content with what you have and share with others. That's where you'll find true blessing. Save your money and come join us at Crown's 2023 reunion. We plan to gather October 12th through 15th at Ridgecrest Conference Center near Asheville, North Carolina. For more details and registration, go to crown.org slash reunion 2023. moment of grace with ed taylor here's a profound thought you should remember this people are going to think whatever they want to think you can't control that so to go to the plains of oh no one more time to try to reason with them to try to convince them hey people are going to think what they think especially if an enemy of god is trying to smear your reputation facebook twitter text and all these lies just keep your eyes on the lord and understand it's going to come if it hasn't already. For more biblical encouragement to help you grow deeper in your love relationship with Jesus, visit edtaylor.org. Again, that's edtaylor.org. A Moment of Grace with Ed Taylor is a presentation of Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora. WIAMLP. 101.1 FM, Knoxville. 
I'm Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. India's Supreme Court will examine critical religious matters on Monday, May 8. Voice of the Martyrs Canada partner Sushil George says... The tussle is between the constitutional rights and laws and the new legislative laws which has been imposed by the Hindutva force. George doesn't expect a final decision during the May 8 hearing, but... We are praying that at the end they are going to give in favor to us. The Supreme Court's trend is favoring religious freedom. Pray that when the time comes, the Supreme Court will rule in favor of religious freedom. Persecution is ongoing and violent nationwide. Christians are very much frightened now because a uh, lot of the churches have been forced to close down. And the military junta currently ruling Myanmar has extended the nation's state of emergency for another six months. Since the 2021 military coup, the country's been in turmoil with increasing pressure to implement a Buddhist nationalist agenda. Yet there's a picture of hope forming against this backdrop. We get more from MNN's Lindsay Ko. Desperation in Myanmar is growing, and the number of displaced people went above one million for the first time ever last year, and is growing. Despite violence and warfare all around them, native Christian workers helped by Christian Aid Mission are in one of the worst hit areas, risking their lives to help meet needs. In one area, workers organized a three-day evangelistic camp among the internally displaced. People are more interested in the gospel than before the coup, with dozens coming to hear the message. Pray that these seeds of the gospel take root. For Mission Network News, I'm Lindsay Coe. Thanks for listening to Mission Network News, a service of One Way Ministries. This month, Slava Gospel Association is making available the free book, Much Prayer, Much Power by Peter Dynica, SGA's founder. Get your free copy when you click on the banner ad at missionnews.org. I'm Ruth Kramer. Welcome to today's encouragement from Our Daily Bread. Our reading titled, Hunt for Inner Healing, was written by Ann Cetus. Always a busy guy, Carson hunted, fished, rode dirt bikes, and skateboarded. He loved everything outdoors. But he was in a motorcycle accident and became paralyzed from the chest down. Soon, depression sank in, and he didn't see much of a future. Then one day, some of his buddies got him to go hunting again. For a time, he forgot about his injury as he enjoyed the beauty around him. This experience brought him inner healing and inspired a new purpose for his life, to provide the same experience for others like him through a nonprofit organization, Hunt to Heal. He says his accident was a blessing in disguise. Now I'm able to give back, which I've always wanted to do. I'm happy. He's excited about providing a place for those with severe mobile disabilities and their caregivers to find healing. The prophet Isaiah foretold the coming of one who would bring healing for brokenness. He would bind up the brokenhearted and comfort all who mourn. After Jesus read this scripture in his hometown synagogue, he said, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus came to save us and make us whole. Are you in need of inner healing? Turn to Jesus and he'll give you a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Today's encouragement was provided by Our Daily Bread Ministries.
Signs of the Times now continues. Here again is your host. Welcome back to our special edition of Signs of the Times. I'm your host, Greg Hilt, and thanks for staying with us as Pastor Mark is helping us in identifying the true scriptures. We had to stop Pastor Mark to take our break right when he was going to tell us about the book of Enoch. He's ready to go, and so are we. So let's continue identifying the true scriptures with Pastor Mark on our special edition of Signs of the Times. For some reason, that seems to be one that the enemy likes to bring in and push and and try to push on the church. So we need to understand a little bit about the book of Enoch. First of all, who was Enoch? Enoch was the seventh descendant from Adam, the Bible tells us. And we're told he was so godly that God simply took him to heaven without him dying. That is, he was walking with God and he was not. He was raptured. Isn't that awesome? We see the rapture of one guy. How would you like to be that? It's just one guy, boom, suddenly gone, and there he's in the kingdom. Um, I love the way it's described by one particular author. He said, you know what? God said, you're walking so closely with me, just come on home, right? And he walked right into the kingdom. So Enoch, again, was a very godly man. We know that. Um, but again, we have no evidence that Enoch ever wrote any book whatsoever, Uh, There is the book called the book of Enoch, but it doesn't mean that Enoch wrote it. Remember, Satan can put any name on any book that he wants. But Mark, there are things in there. As a matter of fact, doesn't Jude quote the book of Enoch? Guys, that proves nothing. Let me tell you why. Look, Satan can easily take a true statement passed down orally by tradition, which I'm saying Enoch did say there in Jude, very clearly he did. He can easily put that in a false book. And if we're gullible enough, then we're going to believe that somehow validates some book out there called the book of Enoch. No, it's not validated because you can find one statement that comes out of it. As a matter of fact, the book of Mormon has things that are true in it. Uh, when you read the, uh, the Quran, it takes things from scripture in there as well, but it doesn't validate the book of Quran. Paul himself quoted a pagan poet in Acts chapter 17. That doesn't mean those pagan poets were speaking the word of God. It means Paul was using that to make a point. Again, Paul quoted a pagan philosopher in the book of Titus. It doesn't mean that pagan philosopher was speaking the word of God or his book should be adhered to. What it means is Paul was making a point and God took a true statement, they said, and used it. So no doubt this statement by Enoch was passed down by oral tradition. Maybe there was some book that he wrote that we don't have today, but it's certainly not this book. Why? Because again, remember, anything that's of God has uh, will not have provable, provable errors and provable contradictions in them. And so there is no book that we're to give heed to that would be the book of Enoch as the word of God. Let me give you some examples of the mistakes of this particular book. And again, I'm, I'm singling this one out because of the attention it's getting today. But the book of Enoch says that uh, the sins of the fallen angels that would cause the fallen angels to sin, and the leader of that sin was an angel by the name of Azazel. Problem. The Bible tells us that it was Satan. And Jesus also says that it was Satan, and he saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning when he was judged and thrown out. So there's a very clear contradiction to the word of God right there. Um, secondly, the book of Enoch teaches that, again, women had relations with fallen angels in Noah's day. Now, by the way, we know there is something bizarre going on there in Genesis chapter 6. We don't have time to extrapolate on that today. We do know there were giants in those days as the sons of God came into the daughters of women. That's a whole other Bible study. So I'm not discrediting some things that may be accurate to some degree, but here's what the Enoch specifically teaches, that women had relations with fallen angels in that day, and they became sirens. Now, what in the world's a siren you're saying? Well, those of you that know mythology know this, but a siren, they are mythical creatures that lure ships to dangerous waters by their singing, which leads to their death. Now, I have heard some people that almost led me to my death by their singing. I got an amen there. 
but they were not mythical sirens. Again, they're, they're portrayed today. If you see some of the pirate movies of today, you might see mermaids coming up and singing and guys falling in the water and ships being allured and crashing and whatever. That's what a mythical siren is. They claim that's there. There's no account of that whatsoever in the scripture. This is something totally made up and outside of the confines of the Bible. A third example is in the book of Enoch, it declares that there were giants in Noah's day, which there were. The Bible clearly says there were giants in Noah's days. As a matter of fact, uh, we know that uh, Goliath, again, some of the giants, uh, it would appear passed on even through uh, after the flood. And Goliath was over nine feet tall, what, nine, seven? We know that King um, Og of Bashan, he, had, he was known to be a giant in his day. His bed, they said, was 13 and a half feet long. And how big was that guy, right? So maybe we did have people, obviously, between around 10 feet and 12 feet or 13 feet or whatever. Absolutely. We, there's no doubt the Bible is clear on that. But according to the book of Enoch, it says that there were giants in the days of Noah that were 450 feet tall. You know, where are the bones? If that's true, there should be some fossil record. And my pity to the moms... Nonsense. The book of Enoch proves itself to be fraudulent and nonsense. But then here's the other argument. Okay, well, I agree. It's not the word of God, but it's spiritual. Okay, hold on a minute now. Let's follow the logic with me, guys. If it's a spiritual book, the question is, what spirit is it of? There's more than one spirit. Listen to what it says in 1 John 4.1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God. Here's why. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And so the bottom line is, it is, I do believe that the book of Enoch is a spiritual book, but I believe it's the demonic spirit, a demonic spirit of Satan, the writings of the enemy, if you will, not God. And again, because of its provable errors, uh, I, I think that's solid ground to stand on. If it was God's word, by the way, if it was, if it was, if it was God's spirit, it would be God's word and there wouldn't be any errors. So the fact that it has errors proves it's not God's spirit, which means only Satan's spirit is the one that's left. Because I do believe there is a spiritual draw and a spiritual power to the book of Enoch and even some of the other apocryphal books. But again, the Lord said, here's how you'll know the difference. Um, and there, it, it will not contradict or have any errors. Now, again, some will also say this. Well, parts of Enoch were found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Well, true. But that doesn't legitimize it. Okay, look, let me explain the Dead Sea Scrolls a little bit more. The Dead Sea Scrolls were basically an ancient library they found out in the wilderness. There were multiple books in the Dead Sea Scrolls. You had the Bible, Genesis to Malachi, which again, uh, Josephus verifies was solidified by the Jewish canon by 424. And Jesus himself, again, we're going to see uh, legitimized it here in just a moment. We'll see that. That was in there, but there were also other writings by the Essenes. They talked about the sons of light and the sons of darkness and all these other books that were there on scrolls. And maybe parts of Enoch were found in there, but it doesn't legitimize it just because it was found in a library. It would be like saying, okay, we have the Bible in the downtown library, if we still do, but we have the Bible in the downtown library, but there's also some other books there. They must also be legitimate. See, the logic doesn't follow. What makes, the exciting, what makes it exciting about the Dead Sea Scrolls having the Bible is we can go and see that what Jesus spoke of in his day, we can now show was Genesis to Malachi and hadn't been changed. That's what makes the Dead Sea Scrolls exciting. Not that it, again, was everything there was scripture. So the fact that it was found there doesn't mean anything. There were a number of books that were not scripture that were found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. And so don't let yourself be stumbled by that as well. And uh, again, also, you know, uh, when you speak of... Um, 
things that are the word of God and things that are not the word of God. Again, we talked about Josephus again, uh, you know, confirming what was truly seen as the legitimate word of God. Jesus himself will confirm what the legitimate word of God was. Now, first of all, before we get to that, I want to explain the way they described the Bible in that day. They didn't call it the Bible. They had scrolls and they didn't have it all put together like we do today. So in, in the days of Jesus, the Jews referred to the word of God as the law of Moses, which encompassed the first five books. Uh, also the prophets, which encompassed the prophetic and historical books. And then they talked about the Psalms, which talked about the five poetic books. So whenever they would say, hey, we're going to have a Bible study at our house, maybe they would invite you over. They would say, hey, why don't you come over to the house? We're going to have a Law of Moses, Prophets, and, and Psalms Bible study. We'd love to have you with us tonight. Great. We love that. We'll come hear the Word of God. What that meant is we're going to be looking from Genesis to Malachi in that, in that range right there, looking at the Word of God, and you're welcome to come. That's how they saw it. And so, uh, and again, notice this, no others. They included nothing else in that. Um, and which again, for those who try to say that um, certain books have been removed, or those that will try to say the book of Enoch and other things have been removed from the Bible. Look, the canon of the Jewish scripture was complete before the Apocrypha was even written. It couldn't have been removed. The only option is, if it was ever there, it had to be added in. And so if anything, Jesus took it back out by the things we're going to see here in just a moment. But you have to realize the Apocrypha and the book of Enoch, they never were a part of the scriptures. They, they weren't taken out because they never were a part. The scriptures were done long before it was even written. So understand that. And again, uh, we have the evidence to prove that and to back that up. Uh, um, Again, what makes this, I said, even more interesting, and I want to remind you, we already pointed this out before we jump into really what the main scripture is for today, and that is, remember, the apocryphal books, including the book of Enoch, were in circulation in the days of Jesus, all right? So people were reading the book of Enoch in the days of Jesus. People were reading all these other apocryphal books. So the Lord knew that. And the Lord knew that he needed to let us know as his body, what is the word of God? What is it that we're supposed to be reading? How do we know what is truly the true scriptures and what is not the true scriptures? And the Lord in his wisdom and foresight, which of course him being the Lord knew what to do, gave it to us in beautiful fashion, which I'm extremely thankful for. Because after his resurrection in Luke 24 verses 44 and 45, listen to what the Lord said to his disciples, which is to you today as well. These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things much be, must be fulfilled, which were written, notice this, in the law of Moses and the prophets concerning me. Do you remember what the law of Moses and, and the writings and the prophets and the Psalms, that was the Bible. Again, at that time, it was already established according to Josephus and the Dead Sea Scrolls. He was talking Genesis to Malachi. So let me put this in modern day language. He said, all those things must be fulfilled, which are written from Genesis to Malachi. And notice what he says here at the end of verse 44, concerning me. That is, if you want to know what concerns me and all those books that are out there written, it's from Genesis to Malachi. That's it. He conspicuously left out Enoch and all the other books, and they were widely circulated at this time. None of his disciples ever quoted them. He never quoted them. He said, hey guys, gather in. Come on, gather in. He was saying that to us this morning. Hey, sheepy, come on, let's gather in. Concerning me, there's going to be doctrines of demons coming in the church in the last days. There's going to be false teachings coming in. I've warned you, Thessalonians, 1 Timothy, I'm telling you again, test the spirits. But now concerning me, it's the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, Genesis to Malachi. He couldn't have made it more clear. And I'm so thankful that he did. 
Because now I don't have to wonder, well, are they books of the Bible? Should they be included? The answer is emphatically, according to Jesus, no. He purposefully left them out. And so again, I love the fact that he nails it down because I need that kind of thing. That's exactly what I need. To me, that settles it. It's done. Now, so, all right, Jesus settled the Old Testament. What about the New Testament? How do we know what's supposed to be there? Well, he also settled that. Because listen to what the Lord said in John 14, 26. He said this. Speaking to his disciples, he said, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, notice this, and bring to your remembrance, that's a key word, all things that I said to you. That is, it will be a supernatural work that the Lord will take his followers, his disciples, those he revealed himself to, and supernaturally bring it back to their remembrance, which means anyone who did not know the Lord personally is not the word of God in the New Testament. You can't bring to remembrance someone that you didn't know. You can't bring to remembrance somebody you never were around. If you didn't hear it from him, how could you be reminded of it? What he's saying is, it's you, my disciples. I'm going to bring to your remembrance. Uh, Paul, he visited. We know that Paul wrote 13 books or so of the, of the New Testament. And the reason Paul, who didn't even know the Lord in a personal way, he no doubt knew of him, but didn't know the Lord in an intimate way till after Jesus died, he came to Paul in visions, which God very clearly by his power demonstrated that it was God's spirit working through Paul. And even the early church recognized, as Peter wrote, that Paul was being used by God as a writer of the gospels. And again, a writer rather of the scripture and being used by God in those days. So Paul was identified as one who knew the Lord, meeting him personally by vision and the disciples that were around him. And that's who wrote the New Testament. Paul and his disciples and two of his half-brothers, if you will. That's who wrote the New Testament. They were the ones that knew him personally, and they were the only ones who could have been reminded of what he said because they're the only ones that heard him. So anybody outside of that group that says, well, this should be in the New Testament, Jesus blocked them out. He said, no, it has to be those that I bring to remembrance. They knew me on a personal level. And so the church used certain criteria to identify which of the New Testament books were. And again, everyone pretty much understood what the Bible was um, in the early church, but there were challenges to the Bible that came early on by people trying to bring in some of these outside books and these outside doctrines. So they got together and said, let's lay out criteria so that we can see doctrinally and theologically what is the word of God and what is not the word of God. And here were the four criteria they came up with. Number one, they said each book uh, has to be written by an apostle or someone closely, closely associated who heard the Lord. Uh, otherwise, they couldn't be able to bring to their remembrance. It had to be somebody as an apostle or closely associated. Secondly, the contents of the books had to be relevatory in nature. That is very clearly God is speaking to his people and showing things that only God could know. Thirdly, the books had to be universally recognized by the church as the word of God, which was already happening by the established, even in the early church, the apostles' writings were the ones that were established as the word of God. And again, those that the Lord had brought remembrance to and shown that they were legitimate by the lack of errors, zero errors, if you will, and the power that was in them, and which really brings us to the fourth one here, the power aspect. These books had to be considered inspired by God, and, and, and to do so, they had to bear the marks of inspiration. And what does it mean to bear the marks of inspiration? They had to have true, observable power attributed to them. If they weren't changing people's lives, 
toward godliness by power, they were rejected as the word of God. So with all these criteria in place, and really all we needed was what the Lord said initially, we now have a solid foundation for the Old Testament, and we have a solid foundation for the New Testament. And again, with overwhelming evidence, not just of what we see on the Old Testament, but now the overwhelming evidence of the New Testament, because we have thousands and thousands of New Testament documents that all validate themselves with overwhelming evidence of what is the word of God and what is not. So for those who want to do their homework and delve into it, you won't have a problem proving that and knowing you stand on a solid foundation. But the Lord wanted to make sure we stand on a solid foundation. And I'm so thankful that he did. I'm so thankful that he did. You see, we have a Lord that cares about his family and he cares about knowing that you know what the truth is so you can make that decision. You know, it's, there's a danger of growing up in a Christian home. There's very few dangers in that, only good things. There is one danger. You believe what mom and dad said, but oftentimes you've not searched it out for yourself. So when you get challenged, you're stumbled. Look, I encourage you, search these things out for yourself so you can stand solidly on them. And when people come to you, you will know the answer to give them. Again, uh, the challenges right now seem to be coming more toward the Old Testament and, and, and the um, uh, apocryphal and things. And so now you know the scriptures with that. But the challenges are also there for the New Testament as well. And we need to recognize them and know how to do battle against them. Now, let me just finish today by saying this. As remember this, God's word is not complicated. Yes, there's great study we can do in background studies. There's great things we can do in word studies and learning and going deeper. We can never go as deep as the word of God goes. But God's word is written in such a way that a child can understand it. A child knows the basics and the clear truth of the word of God. God's word is not confusing. There may be things sometimes we're confused about because we need to study something, but his word itself is not confusing. And here's one of the signs of the enemy. You know, the Bible says that God is not the author of confusion, but guess who is? The enemy. And I had somebody just recently sharing with me, you know, again, some of these, you know, seeing some of these different things that are out there on the internet or whatever about uh, Book of Enoch and all these other things. And she made a statement to me that to me was very revealing. She said, I'm just so confused right now. I said, there's the problem. And that's the identifier. Anytime you find yourself completely confused, it's a mark of the enemy. God makes his word clear. God will show us. The Bible says that the wisdom of God is first peaceable. And then God gives understanding in that. And even the things we don't yet understand, we say, I know this is of the Lord. I trust. I, I can sense this. And now as I do more research, I know what I can verify and what I can't verify and where I stand. And we're able to be protected from Satan's tricks, especially in the last days. God is not the author of confusion. It's the enemy. And so guys, guard yourself. More of this is going to come in. Look, that, that scripture bothers me that says many are going to fall away in the last days. I don't want that to be you. And if you do fall away, I don't want it to be that I didn't tell you. I want to be able to stand before the Lord and say, God, I told them. I showed them your words that verified the Old Testament. I showed them your words that verified the New Testament. They're the ones that went in a playground that you didn't validate. And you know, I'm going to point back to you guys. It's their fault. I'm only kidding, kind of. But anyway, please be a student of the word. Please know why you believe what you believe. Know you can count on the word of God. Know that God has proven it and done it in such a way that it can't be denied. Don't be deceived by these extra books and these extra knowledge and being drawn in like Eve was. You know, I want to know a little bit more. I want to eat from a different tree, tree of knowledge that God's saying, stay away from that. Again, not, not the good kind of knowledge, but knowledge that you know is not of God. Stay away from it. And, and for those today out there on the internet or anywhere else uh, that put out these videos and do these things, you know, God has a word for them as well. And it says in Mark 9, 42, but whoever causes, Jesus said, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble. 
It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Guys, that's radical. That's radical. Look, this would have been radical enough if it had said a millstone. Millstones were the giant stones they used to grind all the grains down to powder. Very heavy. Giant ones. I've seen huge ones there in Israel. It would have been amazing enough and shocking enough for the Lord to say, like one who has a millstone tied around his feet and are thrown into the ocean. But he said, this is like a millstone tied around the neck. That gives a much more violent picture. Why would the Lord be so strong? Because this is so important. His word and knowing what his word is and questioning his word and bringing doubt in the hearts of his flock, he takes very seriously. See, here's what I love about the Lord. He is gentle. He is merciful. He is gracious. He is loving. He is forgiving, but he's also a strong and mighty shepherd. And when he sees the wolves come in and he sees the enemy attacking, I mean, his face changes. And I love it because you know what we need to do? We just run right beside him and stand there and say, Lord, you deal with it. I believe what you've said. You deal with them and he protects his flock. He loves you so much that he used such a radical example for those who would dare stumble you that it puts fear in my heart. If you're ever stumbled by me, it's gonna be an accident. I can tell you that. It's not gonna be on purpose. And for those who know what Jesus said and they still go down this path, very, very strong warning. So he's given us a wonderful playground. It goes from Genesis to Revelation. Play, 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 play. Read, 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 read. Study other things outside of that, math, science, whatever. God's given you a brain. Knowledge is good in the right form. But things that claim to be spiritual, that fall outside of the playground God has given us, he has said, stay away from. And it would be no difference for us going to the wrong tree in the garden as it was for Eve that day when the Lord said, you know, this is the tree of life. Make sure you know where you're getting your food and your meals from because one will give you life and one will destroy you and allow you to be deceived by Satan. Let's make sure that's not us, Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, that you've given us solid ground to stand on in your word. I thank you, Lord, that you've shown us what the true scriptures are as compared to the false scriptures. Lord, let us be students of the word, but more than that, let us be lovers of you. Lord, walking in a relationship with our God. I thank you, Lord, that you're gentle, that you're kind, that you're merciful, that you're forgiving and gracious. How I thank you for that, Lord, and none of us would be in the kingdom. But Lord, I also thank you that you're a shepherd that guards his flock. And when you need to be firm, you will be firm. It makes me feel safe. It makes me feel protected. And it makes me feel loved. And I thank you, Lord, for doing just that. I pray that same spirit, Lord, your spirit of love and protection would fall upon your people this morning in this place. Lord, fill us to overflowing and let us leave this place rejoicing and knowing and believing in you and the word you've given us to follow. And so we thank you, Lord, for the work you've done this morning and ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Let's reinforce what Pastor Mark has said because it bears repeating and remembering. God's word is not complicated or confusing. He's written it and supernaturally preserved it. So one, we can be sure of it. And two, we won't be deceived by Satan's tricks. 
God is not the author of confusion, Satan is the author of confusion. So if someone is trying to teach you something that is confusing you and is going against the Bible, (laughs) run, Forrest, run. But don't run too far, because our topical journey surrounding end times issues will continue next Friday, right here on WIAM, or on the next edition of our podcast, as we continue to review the signs of the times. Jesus loves you. He always has. He does in this moment. He will tomorrow and for the rest of your life. Truth heals. WIAM 101.1 FM. The Way. 